the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey and helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment. Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Camp. Today's special guest happens to be a personal friend of mine. He's an author of a new book called In Search of Christian Origins, a timeline of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Steve Paul, welcome to the Spiritual Brew Pub. Thank you, Michael. This is great to be out in the public. Great. I'm glad you're joining us today. Now, normally when we have these conversations, we'll be drinking some craft beer, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. (laughs) But today, uh, it's a little bit too early for that. So uh, we'll just be drinking coffee or whatever. Um, But I have to say, uh, your book is very unique, and we're going to learn about that in a moment. But just to give people a glimpse, I I like to think about your book um, as a history book with summaries of of major events associated with Christianity um, from the beginning until today. And it's what I like about it, it's a really great reference book that will help a lot of people learn something other than, you know, the often repeated version of Christianity and uh, learn more of, of the real story with some little known details that will really open people's eyes. And like my listeners uh, know, I like to give our conversations uh, with my guests on the podcast a little context. So um, I I have you on the podcast, not only because I think you're awesome and I think your book is awesome, but because we really do share a journey. And uh, both of us deconstructed uh, conservative Christianity together uh, with some other uh, uh, friends and colleagues of ours. Um, We went on a path of reconstruction. We were part of a discussion group of ex-evangelicals and Catholics that uh, we basically had a pub theology group and met in pubs and microbreweries and homes to to really rethink our faith, evangelicalism and Christianity. And then actually, I think this is just so cool, uh, Steve. I mean, in both of my books, I actually cite your historical research that at the time you called the timeline and 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 that was before it became this book and uh, that timeline was a part of my religious deconstruction so naturally now that you have a book i have to have you on the podcast and we get to talk about it so uh, enough of my rambling let's start with some uh, of your background what what's your story and what drove you to start research on a christian historical timeline wow 
Do you want me to go back to the very beginning? <laughs> well, we got time, but okay. you know, well, what, to... what got you into this? Well, uh, okay. My whole life has been a struggle to understand how Christianity benefits me. I've been trying to make sense of it ever since I was a kid. And I've never really, it's never really been easy. It's always been a, uh, something I, I have not understood, you know, beginning with the fact that, you know, uh, loving God will uh, wipe out the whole population of the world because of uh, human errors. Uh, even when he's created humans in his image, apparently. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then uh, sending his son to earth to die and on and on, you know, the Old Testament stories never made sense to me. So I always saw uh, the world in two ways. I always saw the reality of the world, and then I saw the religious part of the world, the religion. And they were like two different things. One was, you know, concrete. The other one was kind of abstract. And I, I always went with the concrete, you know, something I can sense and make, you know, see evidence for. That's what I believe in. And I could never feel like that with, with uh, Christianity. But I right. stuck with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I had given up on it in college because of a bad incident with a uh, pastor who condemned me to hell for uh, not going to church every week. Oh gosh! <laughs> yeah, you're going to suffer uh, for billions of years because love, you don't go to church every week. A loving Christian. All yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So he was a big one to put me off from the religion for quite a while after that. But then I had to get back into it once we had our daughter. We wanted to introduce her to Christianity, so we got back into it again then, and uh, again it never really stuck with me. I, I did it more for social reasons than anything else because we were in a new location and we wanted to meet people and and then we got involved in the uh, the home group you were mentioning because it involved people who live near us and we could and we wanted to meet people who lived near us and who had things in common with us so we got involved in that and that conservative home group that we i call it conservative now because you know in comparison to with our second one we started very conservative but that group was very um limiting uh very restricting in what you could say and and question and everything had to be referred back to the bible you know for explanations and that didn't satisfy me i, I was interested in the psychology and sociology and history of christianity a lot more than studying you know the bible right. so then we progressed on to our progressive uh, group who, you know, of non-church goers. And I got involved in um, overseas missions and got really involved in a mission team. And I had uh, somebody at work I worked with. It was very uh, religious. And she got me, she was talking to me about other things like spiritual warfare and spiritual mapping and oh wow, prayer walks and uh, you know, speaking in tongues, you know, all these so you things. Got the, you got the charismatic uh, element there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd never run into that before. Mm -hmm. So um, it was just really strange, uh, you know, because my old, my background was Lutheran and uh, 
Presbyterian, basically. And that's how this too, you know, depending on where I lived, depending on what church I went to. But anyway, I just got to the point where I just wanted to get some explanations, you know, why these people think the way they did, where these traditions came from. And uh, that's what uh, kind of launched me into the the timeline study. It was a it was a way for me to learn what I wanted to learn. I had to learn it in a sequence, like that. right. And instead of being you know spoon fed things in church and Bible studies, etc., it's it's much more freeing to just say, okay, I'm going to embark on my own study and and look at history and uh it sounds like you're a lover of history too right oh yeah i've always been fascinated by history it's just uh yeah yeah so yeah i am too um so tell us a little more about this group of, of friends i know you know like you said it, uh first of all we we went to a conservative bible study together and we left that but then we got into um you know what we might you you refer to as a pro more progressive group tell tell us about that experience and you know going from one to the other and what was that like and how did that inform your you know research mm -hmm. yeah all my life i've been fascinated by religion and yep. like i said the uh the sociology of it you know why people go in in uh large numbers to church every Sunday and what do they get out of it and um do we need religion in our lives you know and and um all those kind of thoughts went through my mind so I think when we jumped from the uh one group to the next one that got into the progressive one it was people who were finished with church they uh, they were in the same situation we were in and we set rules, uh, unofficial rules. We didn't have a constitution or anything, but we had unofficial rules that, you know, you could question anything you wanted to. You could be as honest about your beliefs as you wanted to be, and nobody would judge you. That was, that was our rules. And the rules of, of not judging people for that, yeah, what yeah. they believed, yeah. Yeah. So all these, all through my life, I've been wanting to have these religious conversations, uh, but there's always, um, you know, hesitancy of uh, deep, you know, real believers to uh, listen to what I was questioning. And the, I wasn't getting my answers in church. I was just getting, you know, the same old stories from the Bible in church. So in our group, when we got together, uh, we, we started asking questions that really, that we'd always wanted to know the answers to, you know, like, uh, what's this end times thing really all about you know not what right. we hear about it but what's it right. really all about right right you know um just one thing after another we started discussing openly and and it was so freeing i i, I equate that to being like let out of a cage uh-huh yeah just like you know, i was just I was free to fly i could go anywhere i wanted to you know look at anything i wanted to uh, and and discuss it with people who were really interested in the same subjects and not get condemned for for asking those questions. Right. Yeah. I know that's it was very freeing. Um, I think we had some similar experiences. Uh, like uh, I think you once told the story about 
uh, bringing up something in the, the conservative Bible study that you were genuinely, uh, you know, uh, interested in and thought was very uh, fact-based. I think it was a book or something. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. What was that? What would happen there? Well, I, once I got it in my mind that I really wanted to dive into um, Christian history and, and learn, learn about it more than I ever did before. I was probably in my fifties and I was basically um, instead of just reading the Bible and reading books that were recommended by, you know, people at church uh, devotionals and things like that. I wanted to read everything I could find that was related to Christianity. So one of the books I was reading was um, Deepak Chopra wrote a book about Jesus. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That was one thing that I read that uh, once I mentioned that to our group, oh boy, they did not <laughs> like that. And then. Uh, well, what, what, what did they, 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 did they label it or something? Well, it's just like, oh, you got to stay away from that stuff. That's kind of like off limits. Uh, yeah. I think know. sometimes they called it new age or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um, but I was, I was warned to uh, back off from things like that. And, mm. and then I, I had heard the term, I'd never heard the term universalism until we were in this um, first home group, the conservative one. And I decided I want to learn about what universalism was, you know, um, universal uh, reconciliation. Is that what it is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I read a book about that. Oh, and then I mentioned that to the group. Oh, boy. Because I'm sorry I did that. <laughs> they, uh, again, we had to go through this. Oh, you better watch what you're reading. Um, right. you know, maybe you need to get some counseling from the pastor or something like that. And, oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I understand well. that. Yeah, I think it, I think the book might have been an, The Inescapable Love of God by Thomas Talbot. Is that I think it familiar? probably was. Yeah. yeah, I think it probably right. was. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. I that, yeah, that's a, that's the thing. Um, there's a very narrow way of looking at things, and if you go outside that, uh, they get all these red flags go up in their minds, and they start, you know, getting all nervous and like you're going to get into heresy and everything. And and the amazing thing is, you know, just listen to that title of that book, "The Inescapable Love of God." This, it was actually about the love of God and how universal it is, and how mm -hmm. you know He doesn't, um, you know, uh, consign people to hell. He doesn't, you know, He's not a God of retribution. He's always trying to restore people, and and He forgives and restores. He doesn't punish people for eternity or or you know get retributive about all these things and it's still because it was you know saying something outside what their theology was about the afterlife and what the bible supposedly said they just react so strongly against it, it it's just amazing yeah i um i agree that that book was darn inspiring it was uh it's kind of like you know yeah, once you realize that this hell concept might not be real, then it really, um, it, it makes your life better, I think. You don't have to worry about that. You just, you know, you just try to be the best person you can. Yeah, right, right. Because there's a real fear-based uh, theology and theology of hell, the doctrine of hell. 
Right. Exactly. It really messes with you. Um, yeah. So anyways, um, uh, why do you think the study of, of Christian history is important? Oh, wow. Um, I think, well, first of all, the study of history, I, I am 100% sold that we uh, as, a, as a society are, are very uh, lacking in history, the knowledge of history. And um, there's so many problems that we get into you know, even current problems that we're dealing with, you know, the environment and racism and women's rights, things like that. There, there's always a historical background to these things. It's not like these are the first time these things have come up. They've been, they've come up before and they've been dealt with before. And people should know how, how problems were solved in the past before they start repeating them again in the future. I, um, heard a podcast the other day that said that this was a, a book review and it said that if people don't have a, a knowledge of history things repeat themselves events repeat themselves about every uh three generations oh wow three generations. because you know you'll and then the first thing i thought of it's not the first thing but i thought of the holocaust mm -hmm. okay our parents lived through that you know, they they were very aware of what it was like by the end of World War II, and uh, and we were very aware of it through them. But you know, we don't teach that to our kids very well, and um, and so that you, you know, gradually this this knowledge gets lost in society if it's not reinforced, and then it starts getting denied. Like people deny that it even happened now. So, you know, history is really important, and the history of Christianity is really important, too, because you want to know if the events that you're being told about really happened. I mean, I do. Some people don't care, I guess, but I want to know if they really happened or not, uh, historically true. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I learned so much by going back and, and looking at everything. Right. Yeah, I think um, uh, I, I agree that the history of Christianity uh, really opens one's eyes uh, to right some of the like well the subtitle of your book the good the bad and the ugly <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah there are some good things in the history of Christianity but there's also the bad and the ugly and and that's we need to learn from those things and learn the biases the discrimination the corruption even the violence uh and and so that we you know put uh whatever faith we have in into context and not just buy into institutional christianity or you know some fairy tale history of christianity we're really honest about it that's that's mm -hmm. what reality is mm -hmm. so um let's get into a little bit about your book um uh what, what do you think makes your book unique from other nonfiction books? And uh, what, what, what gives it a different flavor? Well, I think the first thing is that it is a timeline. Uh, there's not that many timelines published. But when I decided to uh, try to publish the book, I, I switched gears. I started out originally just making a list of events in chronological order for myself to learn from. 
And uh, then that way I can say, okay, this happened before this happened, or maybe there's a relation between this and that. Um, and and it would give me, you gave me uh, connections. But as time went on, um, and I started introducing my historical information to our progressive group, they loved it. And we were doing a study on the first thousand years of Christianity. And it was a really good uh, DVD series, but uh, there was events that I thought were important that were left out and other events that were not explained the way I had heard them explained before. And so we'd, we'd pause the thing, pause the DVD and discuss it. If anybody had a question, they'd raise their hand, we'd pause the DVD and discuss it. And I was bringing out a whole lot of new information nobody had ever heard before about Christian um, sects, you know, early Christian sects and, uh, oh, just, you know, how the, all the uh, non-canonical writings and that were out there in the early centuries and just things like that. And people were really interested in it. And um, somebody said, you should write a book about this stuff. And so that kind of got me started. I, from then on, I started going from, it's, it's not for me anymore, it's for the public. And I started writing for other people. But then I had to beef up my um, timeline because, you know, it's boring if you just have dates and events. So I had to put in things of interest. I looked at other timelines and I found problems with them, the other Christian timelines. They was either too um, brief uh, descriptions, um, they're biased. Um, or they didn't have reference material. You couldn't tell where the information was coming from. So I decided I wasn't gonna do those things. And I, the more I wrote it, uh, I started expanding my entries. And then as I started getting it reviewed, by, or um, not reviewed, but uh, edited, I, uh, my editors kept saying, well, this is good, but you know, what happened to this guy? Uh, you know, what, what, what happened next, you know? And at first, I was going to just let people look up something. If they found it interesting, they could look it up in other books. But then I got to the point where I say, no, I should make this easier for the reader. I should just put the whole story down very briefly so they understand the story without having to find other books to, you know, to, to back it up or whatever. Right, right. Um, just to just. So that's how it got to be where it is. I kept uh, expanding my entries and there's probably a couple thousand entries in the book. And then it got to the point where it was, you know, the way I wanted it to be, but it was really big. It was 700 pages. And people started asking me if I wanted to uh, make it into two or three books. And finally I got talked into making it into one big book. And that's, that's the way it is. So it's, it's a, different timeline than you've ever seen before i think <laughs> well I, I really love it and and even though it's big and it's long it doesn't it's not the kind of book that you you know you just pick up and start reading it necessarily from cover to cover although you could do that but right. what i like about it is if you have an interest in a particular time let's say the crusades then you just go ahead and start in the 11th century and you know, read through the next 300 years and you're going to get this 
summary of what happened with the Crusades. And right. And then, you know, the time when the Bible was compiled back in the, you know, third and fourth century, you can get some information about that. And so I really like that part of it. And then it's comprehensive enough, like you said, it, it has some details in there enough uh, to give you a storyline. Um, and it's not biased. It's really giving you the good, the bad, and the ugly. So uh, I really like that about it. Um, Another uh, thing that makes it unique, I think, is you know, normally history books are written about a certain era or a certain person or something like that. And I wanted to cover everything from the origin of Christianity up until the present day. And so it actually ends in 2021. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, because I wanted people to be able to tie events together, you know, modern events with ancient events. And they can only tie them together, I thought, if they were all in the same book. Mm hmm to make links and I actually pointed out uh, certain connections as I was writing it okay you see this well this reminds me of something that happened back in the fifth century you know so I put that in the book just to just to help uh, help readers understand it right 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 so um, what do you think is uh, what's the what do you think is the major purpose of the of this book I mean what 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 do you want people to walk away with if they pick it up and they start reading it and or just have it there as a reference book that they refer to from time to time well can i read something to you from my uh website sure this is uh i in the about section of my website uh i wrote down uh why i wrote the book mm -hmm. and so i'll just go go through those real quickly uh, to better understand how Christi Christianity came into existence and what influences it inherited from other cultures and religions. To learn what was really known about the historical Jesus, his human parents, and his disciples. To cover, to discover which Christian worldviews and doctrines led to compassion, understanding, and peace, and which ones led to judgmentalism, animosity, and conflict. If someone's worldview is based on erroneous historical or theological information, I want to provide a opportunity for them to have access to a new source. In the timeline format, I chose to present a microcosm of the entire history of Christianity so I could demonstrate trends and turning points. To stimulate discussions of the pivotal events in Christian history. To better understand the events that caused Christianity to morph into the thousands of versions that we've seen throughout history. To help people realize that none of us can be certain about those great mysteries of life that religions were designed to answer. Each culture has its a different perspective, and though it can be productive to respectfully discuss those concepts, it's pointless to fight over who's right and who's wrong. To learn what the term real Christian means and who determined those traits. Does the term have any meaning at all since almost every sect seems to believe that they're the only real Christians? To discern whether Christian nations or Christian empires operated any, any higher level of morality and ethics than non-Christian versions? And if so, what are those differences? To determine if morality came from sacred texts 
and mystical insights or whether it is ingrained in human beings through the need to live cooperatively in a society for security and well-being. And the last one is to help people if they want to deconstruct from a religion that might not be working for them. No, those are all great things. Yeah. Right. Spot on. I mean, uh, it does really um, help everyone who's especially, you know, I mean, if you love history, you're going to love the book. If you love if you're if you're curious about, you know, what what happened, how did Christianity evolve throughout the centuries, then it's great. And then just, you know, understanding all the different streams and, and sects of, of, of Christianity all throughout the centuries. It's just, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, I think um, one of the things uh, when I started hit, uh, studying Christian history, you know, there were certain things that I had goals like, okay, how, how was the Bible compiled? You know, and I think you had yeah. some of that in there as well. Oh, yeah. And, um, and, you know, you know, what was the, what was the uh, process and, and how long did it take? And, you know, who made the decisions about what books are in the Bible and what's not, you know, all these kinds of things. And right. for me, that, that really surprised me because it was like, Oh, the, the way they talk about the Bible in church, it sounds like it just fell from the sky one day, you know, a few years after Christ, and it was there. Yeah, but it wasn't like that at all. There were hundreds of years where there was no New Testament, and there was only some writings from Paul, and then the Gospels showed up, and then other Gospels that never made it in, and, and you know, why were there so many writings and why did they ban some and not others? And, uh, you know, on and on and on. And why did it, why wasn't it finalized until the fourth century? I mean, that's just fascinating to me. It just it kind of shocked me. Yeah. And, and I think that's good. That's a good example of, you know, when someone is deconstructing, when you learn the history of, let's say, how, how the Bible was compiled, you, you start to think, man, I, I need to change my view of the Bible. <laughs> That yeah. just opens up your mind. It's like the Bible, in reality, the Bible wasn't some rule book that dropped from the sky, all, you know, all inclusive, everything, you know, uh, tidy and all uh, <laughs> blessed yeah. by God and every, everything. No, there were disputes. There were conflicts about what should be in there. Some people said these, uh, some other books should have been in there. And other people said, there were just uh, there were like probably uh, at least ten or twelve books in the New Testament that were disputed, and that uh, a lot of people did not think they were inspired or should or or uh, or another would example would be Luther. Um, he actually thought the the books of the Scriptures should be graded, mm -hmm. like some some were more inspired than others, and mm -hmm. some should have been second rate, and and so. He had a list of books that he didn't think were were worthy of the others, you know, as as well as the others. So all this stuff is just, you know, eye opening. Uh, it just helps you understand, man. Things are a lot more complex than we think. We we simplify so many things when we think about things like the Bible and and Christian theology. 
So I guess my question I'm leading to is what, what surprised you the most? What things surprised you when you did your research? Well, I was going to comment on what you just said, where uh, I, I think maybe some people are better off thinking the Bible fell from the sky because then they're not uh, motivated to go research things like, like we do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of work to research these things to find out what really happened or what probably really happened. But um, I was thinking that one of my conclusions I came to was that I think um, maybe the book of Revelation should not have been in the Bible. Right. Because even back when, when they put the New Testament together, uh, I think it was like half of the bishops didn't want it in there. Um, and then they, I, I think another problem with uh, Christianity is, uh, and I see why they did it, but including the Old Testament, including the Jewish Bible in there, because that really confuses things. It gives Christians a choice of whether they want to follow the Old Testament wrathful God, or they want to follow the New Testament loving Jesus, you know, and find reasons for to, to act based on their examples. And, um, but there's, yes, me what surprised me, and there's just so much, so much is surprising. I, I, I started a list of things that were amazing, and I'll just go through a few of them, but yeah, one of them you said was the hundreds, there are hundreds of early uh, gospels and epistles, uh, whatever they call, they call them um, revelations and apocalypses and mm -hmm. acts, you know, they're just like, they were all over the place. They weren't just the ones that we know about. They were, like I said, hundreds. Um, I had, there's some things I'd heard all along that I wanted to research, like, you know, this, I always imagine that Christians were persecuted by the Romans for 300 years until uh, Constantine came along and, and declared Christianity a, a legal religion. But really, Christianity had been a, a legal religion for most of the time under the Roman Empire. It was only when Christians refused to sacrifice to the Roman gods for the well-being of Rome itself, which was a, like a political um, action, mm -hmm. they were. That's when they were persecuted. There were other persecutions that were localized and short-term, but the only ones under the Roman Empire were only uh, for the empire-wide were only about uh, twelve to fifteen years of all that three hundred years, mm -hmm. and so that was amazing. Um, I, I've been told that the I mean, you have to believe uh, Christianity is true because why else would all the disciples uh, go off and uh, become martyred for something that was a lie? And there's really, I couldn't find much evidence that they did go off and get martyred. Now, there were stories about those things, but they weren't in the canon. They were in the non-canonical writings. And uh, who knows who wrote those or when they were written? I mean, it's just so much you don't know. Um, let's see, what else? I was amazed by the, the militancy in Christianity. I never thought about that uh, before. But even back in the oh, third and, let's see, fourth and fifth centuries, there, there were militant gangs of monks that uh, roamed around and uh, intimidating people and tearing down pagan 
temples and things like that there. And then that just goes on up through into um, Charlemagne. Uh, and he was a he was a very militant guy. He conducted something like 14 invasions of Saxony or something like that because he wanted to convert them. They were pagans. He wanted to convert them to Christianity. And then you get into the, the later Crusades, and there was just like endless number of those Crusades. They weren't just a, you know the Holy Land Crusades that most people know about, but they were they went against the Crusade against the Muslims in Spain, in Italy, and in um, the um, the Balkan countries in, in Europe. There were Crusades against heretics the Cathars, the Waldensians, and the, the Protestant uh, Hussites in the in Czech Republic. They had camp, camp, or, um, crusades against uh, Eastern Orthodox. They actually, crusaders conquered Constantinople and invaded Russia. Or I don't know what you call it, if it's Russia now or Belarus or somewhere around there, but they invaded into that area. The, um, anyway, those are just a few of the things that amazed me, but the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, I, yeah, I can I remember studying each one of those things, and um, it really does open your eyes. Uh, you, you know, you like, for example, the, you mentioned the Book of Revelation. What a problematic book that is, you know, when you yeah. first, when you read it, and you go, this is like, you know, as Frank Schaefer said, it's like Jesus on acid. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, you know but then when you look at the history and you go well of course there were plenty of people half the church basically rejected the book of revelation that you know half of the earliest christians said ah, this is just a little bit too much for us we don't want to include that in our list of scriptures and these weren't heretics they were orthodox you know uh, believers that did not right. like the book of revelation luther like i said he that was one of the ones he said nope that one jude that's out nope <laughs> so mm. what i mean it, it, when you learn this it's just kind of opens your mind it's like wait a minute they they looked at the scriptures they had a different view of the scriptures why don't why do our why is our view so different than that why should our view be so different than that why can't we use just our own common sense and our sense of what's uh, what would what's inspirational in our hearts to determine whether the book of Revelation is really from God or not, you know? Yeah. So that's that's one thing. And then and then you mentioned so many other things. I mean, the militancy, it just it, I mean, it's the ugly parts are just incredible. And, you know, as an evangelical, we're always we were always taught that, you know, well, those were the Catholics and the Catholics weren't born again Christians and they weren't true believers. So mm. they were terrible, but we're great, you know? And then, yeah. but then when you look, dive a, a little deeper into the history, you realize, well, actually one of the first reformers, John Calvin was pretty much just as bad as the militant Catholic, you know, uh, her her heretic hunters. He had really strict rules and he went after people and called for their execution if they weren't right. <laughs> you know? mm. so, and then you have Luther, who at least at his end of his life was an anti-Semite 
and you know was very anti-jewish oh gosh you know so i mean uh, that's the thing it's it's it, you, we're kind of taught this like as it says in your the back of your book an often repeated version of the history of christianity but it's not necessarily the real story um now if i pivot a little bit and you know there's the blemishes of the crusades and the heresy hunters i call them uh uh, which was at, which was absolutely crazy trying to basically persecuting and threatening and torturing people because they didn't believe the exact right thing according to orthodoxy supposed orthodoxy and neighbors spying on other neighbors to turn yeah, them in right yeah it, it just it gets so uh, obsessed and paranoid and just uh you know oppressive yeah and then but then the other thing that surprised me was um some of the streams of Christianity that or were minorities or didn't they didn't win out, you know, right, right. But they were they were actually some pretty good streams, you know, like the the Church of the East and yeah, the Nestorians and the Jacobites and yep. um, when you read about what they were like, they were often quite different uh, than some of the Western Christians, um, and uh, the Nestorians lived with the muslims in peace for years and actually had you know some uh, projects they worked on together with uh as far as um translation projects and uh you know setting up right. uh, libraries where people yeah that was in china could, yeah that went all as far as as to china and who, yeah. know, who knew that you know yeah exactly <laughs> who knew about right. the historians at all Right, you right. never learn about the Nestorians. No, you don't, because and the one reason is because the the, the Catholic Church at the time uh, probably called them heretics because yeah. they didn't believe the right thing. So right. you know those right. guys weren't right. So they don't get in the history, the typical right. history books, right? So they don't get in the history books, and then any writings they find of theirs get destroyed. Yeah, right. There's no evidence right. of them existing. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and then another example, uh, more um, contemporary were, for me, the Quakers and the uh, Moravians and some, some of the Anabaptists too. Uh, I didn't really know about them, you know? It's like, yeah. Um, yeah. and um, they're very different. The Quakers were universalists. They were uh, very peaceable people. Um, the Moravians uh, were also universalists. And uh, one of the interesting things that I learned, I don't know if it's in your book or not, but one of the interesting things I learned was the Moravians, um, and for people who don't know, they were uh, a sect of Christianity in Pennsylvania, mostly, and, and they started in Europe, and then they came to the States. Right. But, but uh, they didn't see any, any need to convert the Native Indians or Native Americans and or convert the quote heathen they would just say hey you know well if they want to come if they want to convert to christ great but if they don't that's fine we're just we're just called to love them and and you know shine light in in their lives and that was their attitude and it was like wait a minute that's not what we were taught in evangelical circles <laughs> yeah isn't that, isn't that fascinating that there's yeah. so many different uh 
denominations or sects of Christianities over the years, and they all had different uh, agendas. You know, they and they all had different things they valued and and uh, different reasons for uh, rejecting Orthodox Christianity. And uh, yeah, that and each in my um, website blog section <clears throat> i included a, a index of the book oh right because yeah, i never did one that. in the yeah. book yeah i never did one in the book so if you follow my index there's like three blogs that cover the index uh depending on what century you want to see and those um every century new christian um denominations emerged mm -hmm. it's just like predictable there's 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 always going to be ones that are in, in conflict with the uh, Orthodox Church. And so um, because the Orthodox Church had a lot of problems and, you know, they were, they were too wealthy. They, they were too militant. They were too, you know, um, I don't know. They, they, they were unethical, immoral. They, they found all kinds of problems with the Orthodoxy. And then they wanted to start their own pure earth sect right and i was usually rooting for the underdog but then you'd always see the orthodox would take aim at them and try to wipe out each of these heresies one after another and that's one of the really sad things about christian history yeah, they, did, they couldn't live in peace there's always 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 division in uh, christianity right from the very start yeah there was that's true and and there were so many things that, that branches that I think I think when I look at it, I, I think of uh, there's the institutional Christianity that becomes, uh, you know, you have to believe the right thing. You have to believe the right thing about the Trinity and about, you know, the deity mm -hmm. of Christ. And you have to have the right theology. And that's not really what Jesus was about. He was about, you know, love your neighbor, uh, learn to love your enemy, uh, right. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, treat everyone the same. Uh, help the marginalized and the poor and you know here and then it, it just it got down all these weird religious paranoia obsessions about you know you have to believe a certain way or else yeah, yeah. you're just not in and yeah. and of course modern christianity says oh we're not like that anymore but they really are i mean they, you know we don't have the insurrections i mean the uh the uh you know the 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 persecution uh like 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 the crusades or the um what am i thinking of the uh the, uh, the heresy hunters the, the inquisitions we don't have oh, the yeah, inquisitions like right. we used to the right. heresy hunters but we do in a in a way we do because you get kicked out of the evangelical church pretty quickly if you don't believe the right things right exactly. <laughs> and um and it's not and it's not based on what how you act and how you uh, if you uh are harmful to people uh, or you know if, it doesn't matter if you're a you know, do, doing some really good work among the homeless or just helping people or a really kind person. doesn't matter. If you don't believe the right thing, you're out, you know? Oh, yeah. If, you, if right. you're a universalist and you're, uh, right. you know, dedicating your life to helping inner city people, that's not good enough. Right. Yeah. So it, <clears throat> it, it was just fascinating to learn that. And then, and then, and then also learn, um, the some of the bright the bright lights that there were a minority of of, of streams of, of christians that really did try to do, do things well i think of um oh yeah you know the the 
the Puritans uh, and the pilgrims that came over into New England, uh, you know, they, they, they escaped persecution in England. And then they set up such legalistic communities that they became the persecutors. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You talk about your buddy, Roger Williams, right? Oh yeah. Roger Williams. uh, He left the Puritans because they were so legalistic and he set up his own colony in Rhode Island. And he was actually the one uh, that the, the, the ideas for the separation of church and state came uh, largely from him. Because he, you know, he had these really novel ideas like, hey, um, we actually should, if we're going to uh, settle in these native lands, we actually should compensate the native Indians for the land. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> I, like he, the, uh, I like the William Penn uh, colony also. The Quaker yeah, colony. The Quaker, yeah, the Quakers, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, they were very uh, open and non, um, they're very accepting, well, I guess tolerant. That's what I'm trying to say. Very tolerant. Right. Yeah, yeah, they were much more tolerant, right? So yeah, that was partly that was that was uh, interesting to me that, that to learn all that stuff um, uh, about uh, the different streams of, of Christianity and how when it's institutionalized, uh, it just eventually becomes even if it uh, originally it it's there there they might be um, fleeing persecution if you institutionalize religion eventually it will become oppressive and i think that's the big yeah. lesson um yeah so uh you mentioned your index i wanted to make a comment about that what what was good about the index um for those who uh want to you find the index at your website which is what in search of christian origins.com that's it yep the same title as the uh book the same title as the book.com and then uh, you'll find the index. And what it, what's really cool about it is that you can find out, let's say you wanted to learn about the Crusades. You can look at the index and you can find what centuries were the Crusades. And then you can ch- crack open the book and go to those centuries and, and start reading about it. Um, so it's, it's very helpful to find things and to know when things happened in history. Another thing, uh, if I could just put this in there, is that... Um... Um, in my blog section, I also have maps. Yeah, right, right. Maps. I decided to put the them under a blog section rather than in the rest of the uh, website. Mm-hmm. And those are they're interactive maps. They're they're like map videos, and you can pause them and see how things were uh, at a certain time, like how far Christianity had expanded by a certain date, or how far it had shrunk by a certain date, because it, it was always expanding and contracting. Right. And uh, there was one about the Crusades. It, uh, it is a map of the Crusades showing uh, each of the nine Crusades to the Holy Land and what happened to them and how much land they conquered, how much land they lost. Anyway, those maps are wonderful. I love those. Yeah, I, I looked at some of those. Those were great. They, they show the spread of the different uh, types of Christianity and, and, and they kind of give yeah. you a, a, a sense you just it's kind of like you're watching this video in slow motion of how it changes and the different groups and where they went and yeah it was pretty cool yeah um so another thing um was 
how do you capture your your own spiritual journey in the book? Now, you know, it's a it's a lot of history and everything, but you've got an oh, yeah. introduction and a conclusion. How does that how does that how does that wrap around your research? Yeah. Um, hmm. To me, I thought it was very important for me to tell my story in the introduction to show what drove me to put in all those 10 years of research on the on the subject. Uh, otherwise, I, I don't think maybe people would understand why I went to all that trouble. But <clears throat> I did explain my pretty much my um, Christian, um, what's it called? The, uh, uh, my story. My Your testimony? Testimony. That's, yeah, that's what they call it. Yeah. Yeah. And I <clears throat> explained that in the beginning. And then I, I said, okay, this is why I'm researching all these things. And then, and then all the 700 pages of uh, history come in. And then I concluded it with more personal things about what I personally got out of this. Mm -hmm. And I tried my best not to influence the way other people should think uh, the conclusions they should make about the history I, I put there. I tried to make it uh, complete history, you know, the good parts of Christianity, the bad, and the rest. And um, there's a lot of good things that Christians have done. I always was wondering what, what their motivation was, though. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, you don't have any anything that's left by the average people throughout history. They did wonderful things in the name of Jesus, but they didn't leave records behind. So you can't tell what they did. Well, you could tell us what the uh, the powerful people and influential people did. And that's pretty much the things I was able to document. But uh, there's, there's many good things and still many good things done by Christians. I just, but there's also many bad things still being done by Christians. And, and my, whole, my whole intent was to satisfy myself about the knowledge I, I gained from the study, but also to put out a call for, you know, Christians to uh, do a better job of, you know, being loving and uh, compassionate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, I, I really like the way you weave your story in, into the book. Um, you know, there's the introduction, why you wrote the book, and then your your journey, your testimony, your story, and then and then, then there's some uh, conclusion at the end. And then even before each chapter, uh, you know, you give a little bit of a, uh, a explanation of what that century. Each chapter is laid out lays out a century. What right. what's what that century is about? But um, so. You know, and I, I really appreciate what you said about you didn't want you wanted wanted people to arrive to their at their own conclusions, and not and not feel like you know you you get well I've 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 done all this research and here's the right answer. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Right? But and and we that. all have our own we have our own opinions and 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 what shapes uh, what we what we decide we want to believe you know and but I I really like that that attitude about you know here's here's the facts here's my story but you make up your own mind you know right and, right and that's the way to do it i think yeah because so, i think i've had enough of uh being told how to live my life to be a good christian you know right i don't i don't right. want to do that to anybody else yeah you know right we don't want to do that i mean and, and this people that's uh, really ultimately that's what it is it's 
people have to arrive at their own uh, conclusions and live their own life. And uh, if there's, if there's, in, in my mind, um, if, if people are, if their faith leads them to be a more loving and kind and compassionate person, then that's going to touch people's lives. But if their faith exactly. leads them to be fear, frightened and fearful and, you know, legalistic and judgmental and on and on, then that's going to end up harming people. And it's not good. Right. It's not good for them or other people around them. So, um, but uh, what, what advice would you give uh, to people who are, let's say, disillusioned with institutional Christianity or, you know, evangelicalism, fundamentalism? In, in your journey, what advice would you give them? Well, I would say if somebody has no problems with the bad and the evil, not the evil, but the bad and the ugly part of Christian history, um, and I feel sorry for, for them and the rest of us. But if people are surprised and embarrassed or um, disgusted with a lot of Christian history, and, and they want to make it better, like you just said. I mean, there, there's there's no limit on how many people you can help in this life rather than hurt. And uh, there's a lot of things you could do. And, and the things I was thinking about was one, our discussion group, the you know the no holds barred <clears throat> discussion group. The the pub theology, uh, yeah, beer drinking, wine drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. Open open up your discussions to anything without um, judgment and have a couple beers, wine, you know, great conversations come out of that. And, um, and, and you can just you know, pick it up the next time if you don't finish it. I mean, they can go on. Other things is I think uh, people that read blogs about uh, Christianity can um, comment on the blogs. You know, if there's people that are putting out false information, I think they should catch them and, you know, correct them. You know, they it might not go over real big, but at least they're trying. Right. Yes, I think that's a good point because there is a lot of misinformation about history out there. Right. And, and then um, the um, I put in my conclusion to uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, reconciliation. You know, if you if you read the book and you see how the Jews were treated by the Christians for two thousand years, there's nothing wrong with going up to a Jewish person and saying, "I am really." embarrassed and sorry this happened to you yeah and this is not the religion that i want to be part of right and so yeah. that, that kind of reconciliation i think uh goes a long way on a one-on-one -on -one basis yes and, and then the other thought the thing i was thinking about was uh going back to what i said earlier if, if people focus on the the um the jesus of the gospels uh, and even, you know, Paul's epistles, uh, I guess, I, I, you know, but mainly the Jesus of the Gospels. Focus on that, about what, what he taught us about love and forgiveness, compassion, um, nonviolence, those kind of things. And don't worry so much about the book of Revelation and the Old Testament. You know, those things just, I think they get in the way of Christians being... Uh, you're rising to the level that they can rise to. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. That's so good. I think those are my main, that's my main advice I'd give to people that are dissatisfied with uh, 
with their religion now. Yeah, well, that's what very wise advice. I mean, um, I, you know, I agree. Uh, with there's no, the, people shouldn't have to feel obligated that they have to believe everything <laughs> in the Bible, for example, right? Yes. You know, there's some really terrible things in the Old Testament. There's a few not good things. I mean, the prophets had some really good social justice messages and so forth. Uh, um, you know, and there's the story of Joseph and Genesis that has a really good forgiving uh, uh, message. But there's a lot of stuff in there that is just outrageously, you know, violent. I mean, and just retributive. And well, I think that... Why do we oh. feel obligated that we have to believe everything, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think from what I've learned that that um, fundamentalism aspect where you have to believe everything in the Bible yeah. being really true, that, that's a recent development. I think yeah. that just was mm -hmm. a development in the uh, 18th and 19th, you know, mm -hmm. 19th and 20th century. I think mm -hmm. it's really recent for the yeah. most part. Right. Know. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we we discovered that, you know, when, you know, we discovered that L Luther, one of the reformers, <laughs> he didn't think he had to believe everything in the Bible. He started, you know, you know, grading it, you know, mm -hmm. what's best, yeah. what's second best, what's third best and what shouldn't be there, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, good, good advice. Um, so we're running out of time, Steve. Um, what what? Uh, uh, wh where do we go? Let's see. In search of ChristianOrigins.com, get your right. website. You got some great maps in there, and you got a blog, uh, summary of the book, and you can access uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble and other places to buy the book. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and um, and then you can uh, contact the author there if you want to ask him any questions. So, uh, Steve, it's been great uh, having you on the on the podcast today. Um, so glad that we could talk about your book, and I'm really excited about it. Um, and uh, I wish you luck in, in promoting it. And uh, I want people to uh, – well, I'll do my best to, to point people in that direction. It's a great reference book. It's a great history book, and everyone should have it on their shelf to uh, inform them about Christian history. So thanks for being on the podcast, uh, Steve. Well, Mike, Michael, thank you so much for inviting me. I, I really enjoyed this chance to talk about the book. This is my first real chance to talk about it. Well, and, that's great. Uh, I really well, appreciate this. And I wanted to say one last thing. Oh, yeah. Anybody that's listening and visits my website, um, I would love to see comments. Uh, if you read my book, I'd love to see reviews. Anyway, that's just my... Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely engage with uh, um, Steve at on his website. Uh, check out the book on Amazon and write reviews, um, and uh, that'll be great. Okay, we're gonna sign off. Thanks okay. everyone for joining us today. Thanks, thank you again, Steve, and we'll um, uh, we'll see you next time. And for everyone, enjoy responsibly. Okay. The Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need.
to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey in helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment.